This message comes from Capital One. Your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services backed by the strength of a top 10 commercial bank. Visit CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. More than 40 million Americans receive federal SNAP benefits. That's monthly assistance that helps low-income families buy groceries. Congress boosted these benefits during the pandemic, but that temporary increase ended this month. In 32 states, the average SNAP recipient lost about $90 a month starting in March. That's according to the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. All other states ended the extra benefits last year. George called us from Broward County, Florida. Hi, this is George in uh, Broward County, Florida. Uh, I was laid off uh, due to COVID, and uh, I get uh, $50 a month for um, SNAP. That's for two people in my household. That's the reason why SNAP is important to me. And Derek is already seeing the effects of the cuts in his community. For over 12 years, I've been gathering food from a local market that they deem unsellable and bringing it to a low-income elderly housing situation. With the SNAP benefits changing after COVID, I've noticed that the the impetus to be down there when I show up with the food is a lot stronger for these folks. They're, they're very nervous. And while I'm happy that I can provide help for this one building of 30 apartments, this is, this is a national problem. Something need be done. Today, we discuss how food insecure Americans and the food banks that help them are making do. The show is part of 1A's Remaking America project, looking at how our government is and is not working for everyone. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We've got a lot to get into. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get into the conversation. Joining us now is Erin Pulling. She runs the Food Bank of the Rockies, which serves Colorado and Wyoming. Welcome to the program, Erin. Hi, thanks. Also with us, Lisa Held. She's a senior staff reporter at Civil Eats, the nonprofit news outlet about the American food system. Lisa, welcome. 
Thanks for having me. And Gina Plata-Nino, the SNAP Deputy Director at the Food Research and Action Center. The organization advocates to end poverty-related hunger. Gina, thanks for joining us. Thank you, too. Lisa, first remind us, why was the additional money allocated to SNAP? Sure. So this goes all the way back to the beginning of the pandemic, March 2020. Uh, Congress and President Trump responded to that moment in time when, you know, tens of millions of people were losing their jobs. And um, they essentially gave the USDA the authority to allow states to request these emergency allotments um, as long as a federal public health emergency was in place. So it was meant to you know, be this temporary boost in benefits at a time when a lot of people were out of work and and hunger was was rising quickly. And so why has it gone away now? So, you know, it was set to end when the public health emergency declaration ended, which we we know is coming now in May. But um, the reason it ended early was at the end of uh, last year, uh, there was a government funding bill that Congress passed. And Democrats essentially... um, compromised with Republicans in order to get a different hunger program passed, which is a new program called Summer EBT that will provide hunger benefits to children uh, during summer months when they're not receiving their school meals. So they basically um, kind of traded um, this program for that one and said, we'll end it a few months early to save money in order to get this other program um, through the door. Well, we got this text message from one of you. I'm approaching 70 and collecting less than 11000 in Social Security benefits. I applied for food aid about eight months ago when they awarded me $36. I've never activated the card, and I won't. I'm still a bit shocked at how adversarial and invasive the process was and how little benefit there was for people like me. No wonder so many people are hopelessly homeless. Gina, who relies most on SNAP? Older adults and women with children. So those are our biggest population, children and older adults. Now, these extra SNAP benefits were already phased out in many states last year. In the states that, that phased them out early, what effects have we seen there, Gina? The increase of, of poverty, the increase of people visiting more food banks, less resources for individuals, and less access to, to food. We got this text message from another of you. I work directly in SNAP. These are not cuts. SNAP benefits are being increased due to the adjustment in the Thrifty Food Plan. Lisa, what is the Thrifty Food Plan? The Thrifty Food Plan is the basically the formula that the USDA uses to determine how how much families should get every month uh, to cover the cost of food. And um, the USDA updated it in 2021. It was the first update since 1975. They they basically brought it up to date, uh, brought it in line with the dietary guidelines and, and in line with major changes, you know, to the food system that have happened in, in that time. So it did result in a permanent benefit uh, increase, which is about a dollar a day. But that is you know, very minimal compared to the amount that um, we're seeing people lose because of these emergency allotments at this moment. Well, I want to hear from you, Erin. What are you seeing in the areas you serve around need? 
Yeah, what we're seeing at Food Bank of the Rockies is a huge increase in need now. So we're distributing food directly to people experiencing food insecurity and through our network of more than 800 hunger relief partners. These are food pantries and other food distribution organizations. On average, our mobile pantries are up 33% in just the last two months. Many of our partner organizations are serving more than double the number of people they were just a few months ago. And it is because of the end of the emergency allotments. Well, Secretary Vilsack wrote in a CNN op-ed, quote, we're also working to expand access to healthy school meals, connect more pregnant women, moms, and young children to our Women's Infants and Children Program, or WIC, and deliver additional food buying benefits over the summer to low-income families with children. Gina, how far will those actions go to help fight hunger? Well, we have to remember that the people who were in emergency allotments who are getting these extra benefits were also the children who are going to get these summer programs, which is really not enough. It comes out to about, starting next summer, about about $40 per child uh, per month. Um, Whereas, you know, with the emergency allotments, when someone's getting the maximum, it's quite significant. But every little bit helps. Um, but it's still not going to be enough, similar to where you started with the story, that people are trying to go to more food pantries, they're trying to see what other programs can help them offset some of the inflation costs and the lack of availability of affordable food. Well, food costs are 10% higher now than they were last year. That's according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Erin, how has inflation affected your operations and how many meals you can provide? Well, it's affected our operations at Food Bank of the Rockies, both in the number of people we are serving, because more people are needing help because they're having to choose between paying rent and putting food on the table. It's also especially impacted our operations in that we are spending so much more money on food because we've had a decrease in food available from the USDA, as well as donated food, as well as an increase in our food costs. We're purchasing 15 truckloads of food every week. So we have had a tripling of our food costs to now more than $1.5 million a month just in the last few years. Well, and Erin, where exactly does your food come from? At Food Bank of the Rockies, we bring in donated food from retailers, from manufacturers, from the USDA, and then we purchase food to supplement that. Purchasing as much food local as possible, lots of fresh po- produce, and culturally responsive food. But in this environment where food costs are rising, what happens when you're getting in fewer donations and you have to purchase more store-bought food? We're closing that gap by purchasing more food and we're depending on the generosity of our donors to make that possible. Like I said, we've tripled the amount of money we're spending every month on food costs. And that's only made possible by people recognizing the crisis that we're in and making financial gifts. Lisa, as you're following the congressional discussions around what to do with SNAP, how is this inflation issue fitting into the conversations, the fact that food just costs more right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the really the biggest factor because, you know, these the, the allotments were meant to be temporary because it was in response to the pandemic. But over the past few years, prices have risen so much that, you know, there's more more need than than was expected. Um as you said, the prices are still up more than 10% from a year ago, even though inflation is easing a bit month to month. Um, and and so, yeah, I, I, I think um, that's that's really every statistic you see that that's the main um, issue. For instance, there was just a No Kid Hungry survey that came out 
um, that surveyed 3,000 parents of public school children and found 68% of low-income families said it had become harder to afford enough food for their children over the last year, and that was due to rising prices. Here's another message we got from one of you. I have some friends who are on the SNAP program, and their biggest challenge is that SNAP will not pay for the basic toiletries, such as toilet paper, paper towels, toothpaste, laundry detergent. What do these folks do? Gina, what exactly can SNAP pay for? Food. Cold food, I should add. Um, Not hot prepared food. So the rotisserie chicken that sort of people talk about, that's not part of it. So just think of, you know, fruits, vegetables, any sort of food that's in the grocery store that's not already hot and prepared, but um, just nutrition items, just food items. We also got this text message. Several friends and I are helping an Afghan immigrant in St. Louis. We helped him get his SNAP card. Six months later, he was notified that his card would be canceled. He's qualified, so this was obviously a mistake. I finally had to call my state representative who had a contact at the social services department and the card was reinstated. Being poor in St. Louis is miserable. Gina, explain how someone actually gets access to SNAP benefits. What do you have to do to qualify? I'll start with that it really does differ um, depending on the state and how accessible they make programs. In general, the way it should work, it's always based on income, right? Because it's an income-based program. So it's also an entitlement program. So anyone is entitled to apply, whether or not they will be fine eligible is a different story. So people should not be, be turned away. Based on the income, if they meet certain poverty guidelines, Um, they will be able to submit an application. But that's really where the application and the burden and availability sort of come up because some states have made it a lot easier. And with the pandemic, um, you know, it's made it more difficult for people to access in-person access or have, you know, online options. So you would apply, the caseworker, the state agency will let the person know whether or not they are eligible. They do have to submit certain verifications to prove their income or lack of income to prove, you know, their expenses. And then based on the information that they have, income versus expenses, they find out whether number one, they are eligible. Number two, what um, benefit amount they will get based on their income and and expenses. Erin, how have you seen need for food assistance grow over the course of the pandemic? Yeah, the beginning of the pandemic, we saw a tremendous increase in need. Um, Many people really in a panic, out of work, needing, seeking food assistance for the first time. On average, 40% of people we are seeing at that time had never needed help with food assistance before then. We've then seen just a a gradual, not not decline, but just a slight like leveling off of need. But during that time, we faced these huge cost increases of food that we're purchasing. And the need that we are seeing in recent months tied to food inflation is even greater than we saw at the beginning of the pandemic. So now this is really just a, it is really often being called a hunger cliff. If people already facing food inflation and other inflation costs, and now with a decrease in SNAP benefits. And what do you think people misunderstand about who has to go to a food bank to get some extra assistance? I think oftentimes people misunderstand that or often might think that people receiving SNAP benefits aren't doing their best and aren't working. Where in actuality, three quarters of people who are receiving SNAP are working families or include a household member with a disability or older adults. These are our neighbors. I want to go back to our voicemail. Here's a message we received. 
Hi, Jen. This is Don. I did want to kind of ask one question regarding the food stamp increase. I believe part of the reason they increased the food stamp amount was because children were at home and not receiving the school lunch. The children are back at school now receiving the school lunch. So, yes, the amount I feel should be reduced. To what amount and how inflation should factor in, I don't know. But please, I think that should be brought up to the listeners as to why they may have increased it. Lisa, first, what's the intersection of SNAP and school lunch programs? Yeah, actually, um, during the pandemic, um, school meals were were free for all public school students, um, really, for for the last several years. And, and that ended in September of 2022. So actually, um, it, it's it's not a, a trade-off. In fact, fa- these families, low-income families, were basically hit twice. So if their children were receiving um, free meals, in some cases they lost those free meals uh, because that pandemic-era support also ended in the fall. Um, and then, you know, I should say, so with SNAP, students um, or children who are in families that are receiving SNAP benefits are technically certified for free or reduced meals. Um, but, you know, it's it's complicated because, you know, families don't necessarily stay on SNAP benefits every month. Um, and so families might have to apply for their children to receive those meals. Um, and it's, you know, they, they sort of work together. But, but I do think, like, this interaction between these benefits is important because we're not looking at just the end of emergency allotments. We're looking at a moment when families are facing reduced benefits, potentially from losing school meals and also, you know, the child tax credit ended in 2021 and all these things do interact. And I just want to be clear, were their schools still providing lunches for kids, even if they weren't instructing in person? Yeah, um, that depended on on the school and the district. Um, a lot of schools early in the pandemic were delivering meals. Um, the USDA issued lots of waivers that allowed schools to get creative about the way they were distributing um, school meals in ways that they hadn't been able to do before. So not every school was able to do that, but many did. And and it really just depended on, on where you were. Erin, I know we have to let you go, but if you could talk to Congress about SNAP benefits, what would you tell them? Say that SNAP benefits are essential. And if, well, during this reduction, that more help is needed for Food Bank of the Rockies and the 200 other Feeding America food banks that serve people experiencing food insecurity across the United States. That's Erin Pulling. She's the CEO and president of the Food Bank of the Rockies. Erin, thank you for joining us. Thank you. We're discussing food insecurity and the recent cut to SNAP benefits. We'll be back with more in just a moment. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Progressive Insurance. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options within your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This message comes from Wired. On Wired Politics Lab, you will be guided through the exciting, challenging, and sometimes entertaining vortex of internet extremism, conspiracies, and disinformation. Listen to Wired Politics Lab wherever you get your podcasts. 
Let's get back to the recent reduction in SNAP, also known as food stamps. We got this text message from one of you. If you're on SNAP, nobody needs to tell you how to make a dollar stretch. It's something we're used to already. The bottom line is that you have to go to a food pantry, which is humiliating, or eat twice a day versus three times. Nobody cares about the poor because they think we did something to deserve this station in life. We work far harder than the people who benefit from that hard work and are paid a wage that isn't livable. I invite anyone who doesn't believe this to live as a, a single month on a $10 to $15 per hour wage with food stamps and see what they think about it at the end. As millions of Americans lose additional COVID-19 food benefits, Democrats and Republicans are now deciding on the future of SNAP. So Lisa, the Farm Bill is this massive spending package. It's up for debate every five years. How could the current debate shape the future of SNAP? Sure. Yeah. So the the farm bill um, negotiations are just just really heating up right now because the 2018 farm bill is set to expire in September of this year. So um, right now there we're seeing hearings and, and negotiations, and um, SNAP is is a huge part of the farm bill. It, it represents about 75 percent of farm bill spending and is expected to grow to to more than 80 percent in in upcoming years. And right now um, the the conversation that's happening is centered mostly around um, what legislators uh, call refer to as able-bodied adults without dependents. So this is a category of SNAP recipient, people who are of working age and don't have children in their homes. And um, a, a, a bill was just introduced by Dusty Johnson, a um, Republican from uh, South Dakota. And, and basically, what the bill would do is is add restrictions for that group of people, essentially put more SNAP recipients into a category where they then have to meet strict work requirements um, or else their benefits are restricted to three months every three years. Well, let's, um, let's hear from Republican South Dakota Representative Dusty Johnson here recommending stricter work requirements for SNAP recipients. There are 1.5 million able-bodied young people without dependents at home that could be working but who aren't. Uh, if this bill passes, we're going to get those folks back. They're going to get them off the sidelines, back into the workplace. It's going to make our economy run more smoothly. But even more importantly, it's going to give them a pathway out of poverty. So, Lisa, what specifics do we have about what these additional work requirements would look like? Um, basically, it's... What the what the bill would do is is make the re, the restrictions apply to a broader group of people, so up to age sixty five, and um, individuals with children um, who are over age seven in their households. Um, so it would be, uh, I I don't have the exact number, but a significant um, number of additional people. The the restrictions would then apply to them. Gina, can you give us some more details on, on the current requirements around work and SNAP benefits? So there always have been work requirements, and I want to put a more like time limits as to what you were saying that, you know, people, this pocket of population will only get SNAP benefits for three months within the three-year period. Um, they're supposed to show that they are working or volunteering for 20 hours a week. The issue with this particular population is that they are working. They just don't have enough hours or they have issues documenting the work. I think it's also important to note that the some of the main people that make up this population are veterans and foster children who are aging out of the system. Right now, let's hear from Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. 
But we can no longer ignore the major problem that we have, the size of our debt. And one thing we have learned through all history, every great society has collapsed after they overextended themselves. Okay, so Gina, how should we think about SNAP expenditures when the country has such a massive national debt? In terms of investment, think about that every people don't keep this money in their pocket. They're investing it in their local economy. For every dollar that we spend on SNAP in a downturn economy, it generates a dollar seventy to a dollar eighty, right? So it's going to grocery stores, it's going to retailers, it's going to farmers, it's going to all of our food system that allows people to thrive. Um, it also think in terms of what it does for for children being able to eat, for parents, for individuals, for older adults where they don't have to choose between taking their medicine or eating. All of this, when you look at it combined, has a deep economic impact. The more that we can prevent people from getting sick because they're getting the nutrition that they need, the less that people are going into the hospitals, the less that people can go to work, the more, the more that people can thrive in society. So again, this is more of an economic stimulator um, than anything else. We got this text from one of you who writes, I'm a pharmacist who volunteers with low-income patients with diabetes. It's been awful watching the cuts and how it impacts their ability to eat healthy and control their blood sugars. Gina, how hard is it for low-income people to afford healthy foods, especially if they rely on food assistance? It's difficult. Um, You know, now that older adults are going back, a majority of people are going back to $23, it's called a Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program because this is supposed to be supplemental to people's budget. But this is the majority of what people rely on. And, you know, while they do go to food banks and so on, they don't have the ability to get fresh fruits and vegetables, which is what, you know, SNAP allows people to be able to eat, particularly those who have dietary restrictions and have a more difficult time finding the food that they need. We got this email from Tony who says President Biden was incorrect when he said he was ending the longest war. We have had a war on poverty, a war on drugs, and a war on cancer for over 50 years, with seemingly little progress on some of these wars. The last administrations spent trillions to avert poverty during the pandemic, which has led to inflation. Why have so many people gained nothing from these factors and remain dependent on pantries and government subsidies to make ends meet? Lisa, can you respond to Tony's email there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good question. And, you know, we do a lot of reporting at Civil Eats on the intersection of hunger and, and other issues. And, um, you know, while a, a social safety net is is always necessary when, when things go wrong and SNAP is so essential to making sure Americans don't go hungry, it's completely legitimate to ask that question. Like, why in one of the richest countries in the world do 40 million people every year need help feeding their families, right? So, um, you know, policymakers should be looking at root causes, right, for like low wages? Is it corporate consolidation that that allows powerful food companies to set prices? Is it lack of adequate health care or affordable housing? All of these things, you know, interact up until that moment when an individual is at the grocery store pinching pennies to afford food for their families. Well, and I also wonder, Lisa, how this intersects with other conversations we've had about the as you said, the cost of housing, but also the cost of childcare for parents who are working, things like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned the child tax credit um, expansion, which was a big part of the pandemic response, and that ended in 2021. And and that was that was a huge. Um, it, I, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I know it. It really um, helped families um, avoid hunger 
in the in the early days of the pandemic and and really um, reduced poverty significantly. And when that ended, that was that was a big impact for families. So exactly, child you know childcare, healthcare, all of these things are are part of a family's um, you know spending, and and they all inter- intersect. Gina, when you listen to the debates around the farm bill and SNAP benefits on Congress, what basic perhaps misunderstandings do you hear about who uses these benefits and why they're necessary? If you, if you could talk to Congress and say, here's what you're not understanding, what would you tell them? That these are human beings. These are your neighbors. Um, hunger, you know, it's not as visible as, as other as other issues. These are kids you know, in, in kindergarten and, and other school systems that are, are going hungry. These are kids who are in foster care. These are working adults. Majority of people who are on SNAP are, are working adults. The majority of users are white women with children. The other pocket of population is older adults. We do have a responsibility to these populations to make sure that that they are thriving. And again, when we get back to this, this, this these works and these time limits, um, I think it's important to know again that majority of people are working. But it's it's difficult when you know lack of childcare, when transportation, especially in rural areas, trying to find a job and trying to get there. There are people who are commuting two to four hours a day for very low wages. Um, so it's incredibly difficult for these individuals. And the and the, the last thing I'll say is that majority of the people don't want to be on SNAP benefits. Um, it's, it's incredibly humiliating, the experience, the application is long, it's, in, it's intrusive, and there's this stigma around it of individuals where they feel punished because they are hungry, and even though they're working, they're budgeting, everything is just so expensive that they can't make ends meet. When we talk about seniors in the U.S. and their reliance on SNAP benefits, what trends are we seeing there? Gina, what can you tell us? Um, I think it's over 40% of individuals that is older adults uh, under the SNAP program, older adults begin at 60. So it's quite a lot. And how is that bumping up against the cost of medications? We, we hear from so many seniors on the show about how they're making choices between meals and their medication. Well, yeah, so it's not only SNAP that's, that's sort of uh, ending with the public health emergency, the emergency allotments, but you also have Medicare. Uh, which, which is unwinding, uh, which is also exacerbating this. So you have individuals um, who are going, do I eat right now and feel, and feel this need or do I not take my medication um, because I have X amount of copays? So individuals will end up choosing eating now because it's immediate and don't notice the effect that their medication has until like one, two months down. And like you said, if you speak to medical care providers, especially in the emergency department, they will tell you that, you know, one of the majority reasons that older adults or other individuals end up is because the lack of nutrition and being able to afford some of their medicine. Well, Massachusetts Representative Jim McGovern has been a staunch reporter of SNAP for years. The Democrats spoke with MSNBC earlier this month. Well, look, we live in the richest country in the history of the world, right? And we have 35 million Americans who are hungry, who don't know where the next meal is going to come from. Uh, We should all be ashamed of that. And uh, I tell people all the time that hunger is a political condition. We have the food, we have the resources, we have everything but the political will. Now, at least 27 states introduced legislation to bolster SNAP this year. That's according to Pew Charitable Trusts. Lisa, what does that look like on the state level? Yeah, a lot of things are happening at the state level. A lot of states have um, actually um, boosted benefits state by state. And, and in free school meals as well, we're seeing a lot of states 
extend um, that universal free meals for students. For for instance, just last week, Minnesota and New Mexico both uh, passed laws to guarantee free meals. So I think this happens in a lot of cases when when states are not getting the help that they need or that they think their citizens need from the federal government. They they take action on their own. I just want to remind folks that in fiscal year 2021, SNAP cost taxpayers $111 billion. That's according to the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. The total federal fiscal year 2021 budget was $6.8 trillion. So Lisa, how much of the fix for this is going to have to come at the state level rather than the federal level? Well, I, I mean, I think that will depend. I think, um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the farm bill coming up and, and the fact that um, there are some lawmakers who are trying to restrict SNAP benefits. But I actually think at the end of the day, um, those changes are probably not going to happen. Um, the, you know, Debbie Sabanow is head of the Senate Agriculture Committee, and and she is really set on making sure that, that SNAP is defended or expanded. Um, and, and then even in the House, um, G.T. Thompson, who is a... Um, in charge of the House Agriculture Committee, he has has really said too that he's not really interested in cutting SNAP. So um, I think that at the end of the day, probably some of these you know restrictions that are being debated are going to be more about um, extending the process, kind of political political infighting um, in in the Senate and the House. But most likely they're not going to get through. Um, but of course, states are going to are going to also be thinking about just expansions and ways to um, meet the needs of the people locally. I just want to note, Debbie Stabenow was the Democratic senator from Michigan and G.T. Thompson. That's Glenn William Thompson, Jr. He's the uh, Republican representative from Pennsylvania. Well, as this debate continues to play out, Gina, specifically, what will you be watching for and, and what it means for people who are struggling to feed their families? An opportunity to be able to shift the narrative and educate, uh, you know, the population, the members of Congress about the importance of SNAP, who's utilizing it and the impacts that it has. Um, you know, it's a farm bill year, like Lisa said, and it's it's a great opportunity to be able to support legislation that can support more benefit adequacy. Um, not just a one-time, but an ongoing benefit adequacy in terms of SNAP. And also, if you don't mind, I wanted to correct, I gave you the percentage of children who are on SNAP, which is the over 40%, but it's um, older adults at 16%. Well, I want to end on this email from Stephen, who says, I am a disabled veteran who lives on $954 a month. Even with SNAP, I haven't been able to afford my medications and can only afford to eat one meal every other day. Stephen, thank you for sharing your story with us. We've been talking to Lisa Hell, the senior staff reporter at Civil Eats. That's a nonprofit news source about the American food system. Also with us, Gina Platanino, the SNAP Deputy Director at Food Research and Action Center. Lisa, Gina, thanks for joining us. This show is part of 1A's Remaking America collaboration with six partner stations around the country. Remaking America is funded in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Today's producer was June Leffler. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A.
This message comes from NPR sponsor Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Homes.com. The right agent can make or break your home search. That's why Homes.com provides an agent directory that details each agent's experience so you can find the right one and ultimately the right home. Homes.com. We've done your homework. All that sitting and swiping... Your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.